this is William Del Pilar, a conservative Latino, and I'm here with my big, girthy... Big John. That's me. I, I Can I catch you off guard? I, I, I hate it when you do that, because I feel like Big Girthy John is actually a porn star's name. And every time you say that, I almost feel like taking off my pants or something to introduce myself to the ladies, of course. Well, I'll be honest. The sad thing about the military that they don't tell us that is What's sad, that? probably reputation wise, is we are some seedy, sordid people. We have seen it and we have experienced it. I always tell people, you want your son to gain some serious experience, send them to the military. <laughs> <laughs> serious experience, yeah. So, John, we got a great show today. Yes. Uh, as we know, the NFL draft is coming up. It's always... I remember the NFL draft when I first covered it with KFFL. It is nothing like it was today. Nothing. Uh, everything from the senior bowl, the combine, the NFL draft. Now they're just major events. And, and it was great for, for, for viewership and traffic for KFFL. Believe it or not, you know, we were famous for our player news and our fantasy content. Our most traffic time of the season, of the year, was always the draft because it brought the fantasy people together, the gamblers, the average fan, the, the, the big way. It brought everybody together. So I'm really looking forward to the show. I'm looking forward to our guests, and I'll let you take it away. Sure. I'm, uh, I'd be happy to introduce our guest. You know, William, um, every so often we have the opportunity to bring back some guys, a blast from the sports grumblings past. And this next guest I'm about to introduce, one of my favorite writers uh, of all time, uh, uh, at Sports Grumblings. Uh, let's bring him on. He is currently the uh, at, with the Action Network. He's also with NBC Sports Edge, uh, where he focuses mainly on, fan, on college basketball and college football. He's uh, written for several outlets, uh, most of the famous ones. I mean, you could say Sports Illustrated, Roto Grinders, uh, he's written for newspapers. He just had an article in the New York Post printed the other day. Uh, and of course, the most important credential one can have on this planet, an OG sports grumblings featured columnist, where for years he used to write the fire sale. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It is a crime to this day that the fire sale never got an FSWA award for best column. I, I lobbied for that every year. The guy, I love this guy. He's the only other writer, William. I don't even read your stuff, but I always made it a point to read this guy's stuff. Mr. Tom Casali. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, I was around back, I was with you so long, it used to be called Gridiron Grumbling. So that's, that's right. <laughs> when it first, yeah, a long time ago. Back in the day, and I, I remember when he used to send me articles saying, could you print this? You know, take a look, <laughs> take a shot with me, you know, and, uh, and also, for yeah, and I forgot to mention Tom actually uh, one when he did finally graduate from sports grumblings. I mean, one of the places he landed, which was amazing to me, was he you actually hooked up with the New England Patriots. You were like a beat writer. You covered the team yep. from the inside. Right. So you've got Belichick stories, Brady stories. I remember you were the first guy who picked up the phone and called me one time. You said, John, this Matt Castle, when he leaves New England, he's not going to amount to anything. He's a nice guy, but he's not going to amount to anything. And sure enough, as soon as the Chiefs signed him, we were talking about it last episode, Tom, guy flushed, got flushed down the toilet when he left New England. 
the, yeah, I mean, we used to call him pick six in practice. I mean, he's the worst. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. He far exceeded my expectations. Matt, Matt Castle is the worst practice player I've ever seen, but <laughs> he actually played better in games. So credit to him for that. Let's, let's ask you this quick question then. Why is it that it seems that every Patriots backup goes on to get a starting gig? Somebody's always willing to trade draft capital to get a Patriots backup. What's the mystique around that, Tom? Well, I, you know, the thing about the Patriots is, is they're so well coached. I, I tell a story all the time. I used to cover, obviously, Patriots training camps, right? Right. And Belichick goes over every possible scenario mm. that can happen in a game. Then I went to Jets training camp when Rex Ryan was the coach. And every time <laughs> someone fumbled, he had everybody, including interns, doing push-ups. And I look over, and you know where Eric Decker and Chris Johnson and mm. all the veterans were? riding the stationary bikes, so pretending they were injured laughing because that crap doesn't work in the NFL. The, you know, get down and do your push-ups, and, you know, same thing with Joe Judge. That that stuff plays well with fans, but your veteran players aren't going to buy into it. So I think guys like Belichick and Tomlin who just teach and are going over everything, they get players prepared to play when they need to play, so when you're in New England and you're there for a short time as maybe a backup quarterback, you might look better than you're going to through a 16-game season. Right, right. You know, and, Tom, and I was, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, to your point, look what happened to Urban Meyer. Like one, like one of the greatest college coaches, one season in Jacksonville, and man, what a dumpster fire in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer, right, Tom? Yeah, well, I think, and I, I, I didn't know it was going to go that bad, but I didn't think that would work for this simple reason college coaches have the best jobs on earth. They run the entire city or town that they're in, right? right? So they're used to controlling everything around them. I remember when I worked for the Patriots, that's when Nick Saban was in Miami. Uh, After the second time we played him, I walked in the bus and I said, he's done. He's going back to town. He looked miserable. Absolutely (laughs) miserable. Yeah, you're right. He did. Yeah. Those press conferences, he looked like he didn't want to be there. But you bring up a good point, Tom. I know in military special forces training, they run you like a boot camp to weed it out and to get you to a certain point. But after that, you're a man. There's yep. no A to Z, meaning we go A, B, C, trying to make you better. It's from A, here's where you are. Z, you screwed up. You're out of here or, or whatever. There's the, and and there, there's, it's just that mentality. But, but I do have a question regarding that because we were talking about the Patriots last night and, and Josh McDaniels. And there was uh, doing some research on it. I found a, quite a few articles that kept talking about McDaniels and, and kind of making him out to be a ghost whisperer, including Brady making a comment about McDaniels going to, to, to Las Vegas. I was going to say Oakland, going to Las Vegas and being a huge boon uh, for Derek Carr over there. What's your take on that? Is there, do you validate that? Do you question that a little in the middle uh, based on when you were there? Listen, I know people have a tremendous respect for Josh McDaniels. And I think it's something that Champ Bailey said after McDaniels time in Denver, he said, He's probably the smartest coach he's ever been around. His mistake is he came in trying to be Bill Belichick Mm -hmm. and you can't be Bill Belichick without the ring. So he said he lost the veterans in the, in the locker room um, because he was trying to play that, play that kind of role. I think he's learned from that. I think now he's just going to be Josh McDaniels. Um, Very smart, really understands offense and the quarterback position. You know, I often said, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. I like to get on Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett's actually an excellent quarterback coach. If you told me you hired him to be, don't, don't, 
hire him as your offensive coordinator because you're going to run the ball on second and 14 um, and and then throw a two-yard pass on third and 12. But in terms of just working with quarterbacks, he's excellent. A guy that John will remember who uh, made a few appearances in the fire sale, Paul Hackett, um, was an awful coach, an awful offensive coordinator, but a great quarterback coach. So, you know, I think that's what McDaniels is going to bring to the table. And, And I think the Raiders... The AFC is tough, but I kind of like them a little bit this year. After it's said and done, because I asked this question to Big John last night, uh, a a lot of analysts will tell you, hey, Derek Carr is a fine quarterback, uh, maybe top 10, nowhere near the elite, not in the top five. After he has all the pieces, Devontae Adams, Waller, the running back, I guess offensive line may or may not be a bit of a question. Uh, After it's said and done this year, because of the McDaniels factor, do you see Carr being closer to top five status or kind of remaining about the top 10 quarterback? Tough question, I know. A lot of great quarterbacks, but. the You know, I, I, I put guys like, you know, Derek Carr and Dak Prescott kind of in that same category. They're probably not good enough to win a bunch of games on their own. But if you surround them with good players and good, I mean, they're, they're really good quarterbacks. You know, I, I would argue this. Look at the quarterbacks in the AFC. I, I know people love Lamar Jackson. Is he an elite quarterback in the AFC? You know, I, people will get on guys like Carr and support Lamar Jackson because he's a little flashier. But when you look at the quarterback play in the AFC, it's, it's scary. So I think Carr is good enough to win games. Uh, I think he's a little underrated. But is he an elite quarterback? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes are elite quarterbacks. I wouldn't put them in that in in that ranking, right? You now. know, Tom. What's hilarious to me is your answer was almost exactly word for word what I told William yesterday. Pretty like, much, like pretty Carr, much. like yeah, great minds think alike. Because I said the exact same thing. I like Carr, and for years, he's, it's been criminal how they've crapped on this poor guy. Like that, it's everything in Vegas was his fault with the Raiders. You know. But yeah. the truth of the matter is, I said, is he top five? Can you easily name five quarterbacks better than him? Yes. Probably three of them are in the same division <laughs> with him, right? I mean, so yeah, it, yeah. that's what makes it tough when it comes to, to saying he's top five. But you're right. With a good team, give him a good defense. Give Now that he's got the weapons around him, now it's put up or shut up. He has, he has to go deep into the playoffs. The problem is he's in the best division in football right now. So, um, so yeah, we'll, see, we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. But, you know, Tom, as much as I'd love to talk more about this, we brought you on for one specific purpose, two specific purposes. The first one is going to be a talk about the draft. I always thought it was amazing take, when you took your knowledge of college football and was able to translate it. Like uh, for, for listeners who don't know who Tom is, he was the first one on the priest Holmes train back in the day. And, you know, all of us, William, yourself included, myself included, all of us as fantasy journalists, we all have the one guy we're all proud of, you know, like we saw this greatness before anybody else, right? Tom's had a couple of those, but Priest Holmes was the best one. As soon as that guy moved to Kansas City, Tom was on it. He goes, take him in the first round. Take him ahead of Tomlinson. Take him ahead of everybody. It doesn't matter. Take take Priest Holmes. And sure enough, that panned out. And, and I, don't let Tom fool you. I, I follow him on Twitter. He'll mention it at least twice a season. <laughs> hey, my priest Holmes call. Trust me, you know. Hey, Tom, actually, uh, my question to you is because I did the same thing. I had to sit my partner down. I said we got to talk about priest Holmes, 
And he, he was why I go, these numbers are just astronomical. They, they, they just don't make any sense. So we manually, we just kind of like started whittling it down. Uh, what may, uh, uh, and we kind of put him more in line. And then he actually blew and hit those numbers that I had projected. And I always take pride in that. Uh, I can't remember why I came up to came up with those numbers so many years ago, but what made you, what, what was your trigger to go Peter Priest Holmes is going to knock it out of the park? Well, you know, sometimes I think guys get dinged for being injured in college. You know, if you remember Priest Holmes suffered a bad knee injury in college. Right. And it took him a, you know, this was a while back. It's not like today where knee injuries, you throw a Band-Aid on it and they're playing. This was you know, quite a few years ago. So I thought it took him a couple of years to get back to the same back I saw early on at Texas. And his last year in Baltimore, you could see when he was getting the ball, you know, he wasn't a full-time back, but he was making plays. He, he looked like that guy before the knee injury. And then you're going to a, you know, a offense like Kansas city, who was going to use him in space, who was going to try to get him the ball in the passing game. So I thought it all added up to a perfect, you know, the, the right player in the right situation at the right time. I agree. Yeah. I forgot about that. And maybe that's what triggered me. It was so long ago, but uh, you're right. He was going to a more explosive offense and uh, man, it was just a bad move for, uh, for, for, for the Ravens to let him walk. I think if I remember correctly, that's where he left. Right. Or yeah. Wasn't the Ravens? Yeah. Yeah. And he was such a nice guy. Also. Yeah. Great it was, guy. It was easy to root for him. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But uh, all right. So Tom, Let's talk about the draft. Let me, first of all, though, let me hit you up with a question because I think this is, I don't know if we're on the cusp of something different in the NFL, but do you think most teams are putting a premium on the draft the way teams used to? Or are they looking to the models of the Rams who won the Super Bowl? Um, maybe the, the way the Buccaneers built their team, you know, with a lot of free agents and a lot of key signings. Uh, where do you think the NFL is? How do GMs and owners approach the draft? Is it still like number one on the list of things to do? Or has the importance of the draft dropped a little bit, do you think? I think it depends on the team and the organization. I mean, yeah, if you have Tom Brady, maybe the draft isn't right. as important to you, right? Um, but I still think if you're a bottom to mid-tier team, you still have to draft well and you have to draft well beyond the first round. I mean, you know right. that my um number one thing i do in this world is complain about jerry jones right you know, people people get fooled by the cowboys talent um the cowboys have front end talent they don't have talent a second two guys get hurt there's nobody there to pick up the slack and the reason is and they've gotten better over the last couple of years with jerry's son making more of the decisions right. but for years the cowboys after round one or two those guys were in the league for like two years and you're not only hurting your, your start, you're hurting your depth. I mean, everybody in the NFL has injuries. So yeah. for me, I always believe that that part of the draft is where you're going to build winners because not only do you get some starters out of there, you're getting depth guys who have to come in when you have, I mean, a perfect example would be people forget this sometimes because they just focus on Carson Wentz, but the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. 
they had multiple big injuries. It's really one of the more remarkable runs that I've seen in the NFL. Not only was Nick Foles the quarterback, you're looking at start and left tackle, start and linebacker, some guys on the defensive line. I mean, secondary, they were decimated by injury, but they had done such a good job of building up their team. They were able to absorb that and make a, you know, a Super Bowl run. So yeah, I still believe the draft is important. Now I do think there's a little bit of a shift and, to be honest with you, Belichick has kind of done this a little bit in New England. My Belichick's an average drafter. All right. right. We all know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. His, his biggest strength is looking at guys he didn't get in the draft that he thinks fits his system that went to other teams and become available. You know, he's gotten a lot of bargains from like the Lions and the Browns, guys that players people thought were done, but Bill thinks can fit his system. You know, I remember when I was there, uh, Bill had Paul Puzlesny rated like a late round draft pick. And when we asked his assistant, well, you know, why? And he said, he just doesn't think he fits this system. It's nothing against Paul, the player, but in New England, he won't be the same player that he is elsewhere. So, you know, I do think if teams that scout other teams, players, can really do well beyond the draft. Right. And yeah, I remember Belichick, all those, like he got Wes Welker, people forget, came from Miami. Um, uh, Corey Dillon at one point stepped up and became a major runner for them. Um, And uh, of course, Belichick always believes in cutting somebody a year too early than a year too late. And Tom, you brought this up to me. There are positions he'll pay for. And there are positions he figures he can scheme out of existence if he had to. So he'll pay for, uh, obviously he paid for quarterback all those years. He pays for his offensive and defensive line, but you won't see him give top dollar for a corner. Think of all the corners that left New England when they wanted money, right? Ty Law, Stephon Gilmore, um, all these guys. Like once they say, well, I want the big contract, he's like, yeah, I'll see you later. You know, right. So he's smart in the way he divvies up his money. So you're right. Okay. So the draft is still important, but maybe not as important uh, as it used to be. Uh, but where I do think is it's important, see if you agree with me, is that quarterback for one reason, you draft a good young quarterback and he's starting within say his second season, you've got a nice three to four year window now where you have an affordable quarterback that you can build around. One of Williams big gripes is as soon as these guys become all world and they want that extension or they go for their second contract. Now you can't afford to have a team around them for the most part. So, you know, like, yeah, you got Aaron Rodgers for 45, 50 million a year. Now what? 60 million. 60 million. Now what? You know? So, um, so that's always, to me, the timing is always good. Right. So let's, let's get a little bit deeper into the draft now. Hello, uh, Tom, real quick, going back to the eighties and nineties, hearing you talk it sounds like Belichick, it, it didn't, I didn't even realize it, but he became or has become the Eddie DeBartolo of the, the, the modern era. Cause that's what the 49ers did during the Montana era that, that where they got, they were just consistently vying for that, that, that NFC championship to go to the Super Bowl. They would get those free agents with a couple of years left who wanted a ring more than they wanted that big fat paycheck. And it seems like Belichick does something similar, bringing in some of these uh, uh, veterans who don't have a ring and, and kind of fit in their system. And according to you, John, where he doesn't always want to pay. It doesn't matter if the receiver or running back. I mean, Dylan. Dylan was one you brought up right there. Would you, would you say that's a fair assessment based on what you saw? 
Yeah, uh, no, no doubt about it. You know, he's always comparing the draft to the people who are out there. Um, you know, remember, he got Randy Moss for a song and dance. Uh, right. And, you know, he, he's comparing Randy's talent. And, and I can tell you this right now. Randy wasn't one problem in New England. I, I really couldn't believe the, I mean, one of the nicest guys I've ever met hung out with practice squad players. I don't know if the change of scenery did something or maybe if things were overblown in the media, but you know, I, I think Bill met with him and realized, Hey, th this guy's not going to hurt my locker room and we're getting, you know, so that's how he, he does things like that too. There, there might be guys, you don't, Bill doesn't do this often because he thinks, you know, character and stuff in the locker room matter but if there if there's a guy who's a little shaky and he can bring him in for a short period of time you know the thing that happened in Dallas you know I don't know if this is common knowledge or because I knew a reporter there but Bill Parcell signed off for T.O. for one year he says I can deal you can deal with a guy like T.O. for one year right. when Jerry gave him the extension that's when Bill said I'm too old I'm going to the track uh have fun you know what I mean because <laughs> Bill will Bill will Bill will take a headache for a year to win. <laughs> He's not going to do it for three or four years. So right. I, I think they have a similar, you know, thought process in that. Yeah. And obviously Belichick comes from the Parcells tree. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's obvious that he probably had to look uh, Belichick more than anybody had to put up with Lawrence Taylor as great as he was. When you listen to all those stories of like Taylor falling asleep in the middle of a defensive uh, play call uh, play uh, scheming, and Belichick would be losing his mind and Taylor would wake up and go, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Harry's supposed to cover that, you know, and I've got uh, Collins on the court, you know, and he knew where everything was because he was a prodigy and he used to drive Belichick crazy because he couldn't control that. Right. And um, so I, I can imagine him being like that. He just like Parcells, but uh, okay. Belichick never told him, hey, just take another line and wake up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, cool, cool. All right. So let's get to the first general question about the draft because I think this is something everyone's talking about. Talk to 10 different people about this quarterback class coming out, Tom. You'll get 10 different opinions. Uh, anywhere from there'll be four quarterbacks taken in the first round, I've heard a lot of people, all the way down to there are not going to be any quarterbacks taken in the first round it runs like i don't remember it being this wild to swing in a couple of seasons um so first of all two-part question will there be quarterbacks taken in the first round and if so who are the likely candidates to which team yeah they're probably almost guaranteed to be quarterbacks taken in the first round and I, you know i can go back through history the year locker went in round one and the kid from Florida state uh, that went to the Vikings is slipping my name. Christian Ponder. Yeah. Ponder who's married to, yeah. To oh, number Amanda seven. Ponder. The, the, but you know, like that year. It's funny. Was, we'll remember how hot his wife is, but we yeah. won't remember his name. Right. But, you know, yeah. I, I just remember thinking, you know, these guys, if this was a good quarterback class, these guys wouldn't sniff the first round, you know, right. EJ right. Manuel, the year. Oh, he geez, I mean, yeah. EJ uh, right. the, the, never been more shocked in my life than when EJ Manuel was a first round pick. To the Bills. So, yeah. yeah, you know, crazy. I think teams are always going to reach for quarterbacks, but one of the reasons I bet a uh, picket to be the first quarterback taken at plus 200 is I don't think the odds represent the players. The mm. there's no way you're going to tell me Malik Willis is the unquestioned number one quarterback in this class. Now he might go first over, you know, over, over Pickett, but in terms of the odds, 
just doesn't make sense. I think that happened when there was rumors that the Lions were going to take him number two. The Lions aren't taking Malik Willis number two. There's no, I, I've seen the guy, I, I understand he tested well, but the, the guy's not good enough to go number two overall. Right. But I do think you will see at least two, maybe three, just because of what you said, teams need quarterbacks. And they're willing to they're willing to roll the dice on a guy they think can come into their system and do well. So yeah, I don't know if any of them are traditional first round talents, but I think we'll see a couple go. So Tom, I'm, I'm sorry, John, but Tom uh, Malik Willis, small school. Uh, I, I mean, to me, he looks like a project. Maybe he has a talent yep. there, but he looks like a project. But in this day and age the fans expect these players to come in and play immediately. And even in EJ Manuel, uh, EJ Manuel, who you mentioned was, was raw. Right. And, and my question is when, is it fair to a Malik Willis to be drafted? And I mean, it's, that's how life works. And he, he'll get the contract and God bless him for it. He'll get some money, but it seems as if drafting uh, Malik Willis going in the first round, it could do him so much more disservice because the pressure for him to start will be immense wherever he goes versus letting him develop a bit. I, I guess what I'm asking is, I kind of don't know what I'm asking. It just seems like a small project kid. Like you said, he's, he, he, he's, he's not as good as the perception out there, but that's not necessarily him as much as where he played and, and how much he still needs to grow. Do you see where the draft going that high could hurt him long-term with his, 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 his uh, development? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. The, he's got skills. Uh, he's got a good skill set, but he's right. nowhere near ready to come in and play right now. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these guys. Listen, there's only a couple of John Elways and Peyton Mannings who would have been right. great no matter where they go. Troy Aikman tells the story all the time. The best thing that ever happened to him is he got injured in his rookie year because he, he was getting beat up so badly. He was close to checking out mentally. Uh, remember that Cowboys team, how bad it was. And then Steve Walsh came in and took the, took the, oh, yeah, the hits for right. the rest of the year. But Aikman, I wrote, I remembered when Aikman said that. And I always think of a guy I liked who never had a real chance was David Carr. That's, David that's Carr the one we all talk up, about. Yeah. Got always bring that so out. badly in his first two years. You know, John, your boy, Daniel Jones, yeah. listen, Daniel Jones has shown some decent skill when he throws the football, but he's been getting killed back there. So I like this Tom guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, it really hurts your confidence. So I think quarterbacks, again, there's a couple of guys who've come out who, you know, Peyton Manning, wherever he went was going to be great, but guys like, you know, Willis and Kenny Pickett, it's really going to depend on what team they go to the, the, the right organization. If they put things, you know, the right pieces around them, if they give them enough time, if they're, if the lions draft Malik Willis, number two, you know, listen, they got Jared Goff, right? Who's going to, who the fans can't stand. So you're going to be forced to play Malik Willis at some point this year. And I think it'd be a disaster for him. I agree with you. I don't think the line, and I don't think the Lions are going to take him. They may trade down for someone else. Uh, but I think if Hutchinson is there, they'll take Hutchinson number two. But among the quarterbacks, the way I see it, um, Carolina has to do something. So whether they yeah. stick at six and take a quarterback or pull, you know, trade back and get somebody later in the first round. I don't know, but I think that Panther spot is going to be the first one you get, you get somebody taking it. And I think the Panthers would take Willis. Um, my thing is, I think Pickett is the most pro ready. Yeah. Now, where yeah. Pickett goes like, look, everyone thinks the dream scenario is he falls to the Steelers. The Steelers take them. 
uh, for a lot of different reasons. They needed a quarterback, the tragedy with Haskins, they're only, they've only got Trubisky. So why not pick up Pickett? I don't think Pickett makes it to the Steelers, quite honestly. I think uh, you've got the Saints that might trade up, package those two picks they got from the Eagles and trade up. Uh, I think you've got the Seahawks who might trade up just enough, either with the Giants or the Jets, uh, to, to get Pickett after Willis goes. Um, how do you see, say, Pickett and Willis going, and where do you see them going? Yeah, I think in that fifth, top 15 range. You know, I think, like you said, if they start to – listen, we know the Panthers want a quarterback because they've been in on virtually every quarterback right. that's available. Um, it just depends on where they think these guys slide in on their draft board, if they think six is too high. But, yeah, that'll be a position. But I do think, you know, as we start going down that top ten, if no, no quarterbacks picked, then you're going to start looking for teams to trade up a little bit if they really like one of these guys. So I do think top 15 for sure. One of them will go may, maybe top 10, but you're right. That Panther spot is the first spot that's interesting for a quarterback. And it really just depends how they see these two. And if there's one, they really like that they want to take that high. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Tom, uh, it's only been a couple of years, well, maybe three or four, but college is your stick. Trubisky was so, you know, he kept moving up the draft board, got drafted highly. Uh, a lot of people believe he flopped in Chicago because of Chicago, not him. It seems even though the Steelers signed him, they're ready to write him off. Uh, and you mentioned uh, uh, Daniel Jones, which I preached that to John, and he kind of disagrees. He's not a Daniel yeah, Jones fan. But David Carr, we always talk about too. Do you think – Trubisky never had the talent people assumed he did, or do you think he's a product right now of the Daniel Jones, David Carr type situation? And he could actually thrive. The reason I ask is because the Steelers must have seen something in him for them to have signed him. Yeah, I think he's an example of what you just said earlier about a guy going way too early and was expected to play. This guy played like one season in, in college. And again, going back to Parcells, his, his thinking on quarterbacks, you had to play in college. Like, you know, it's a, the old Achilles Smith, uh, Jamarcus Russell. Right. These guys played very, very little in college, and then they went up draft boards compared to somebody like, you know, Deshaun Watson, who you know, Russell Wilson, guys who play a lot where you can just evaluate more, not just them physically, but mentally. Yeah, you know, how do they react to situations? So I think Trubisky was one of those guys that you just mentioned that went too high and it hurt him. He obviously has talent. Now he goes to Pittsburgh. He sat a little bit. I think that helped him a lot. Uh, things might slow down for him. I think it's interesting. We'll see how he, he looks in Pittsburgh. But the, a, a guy who just got thrown in way, way too early. And John, I, I apologize. I told John, hey, John, you're going to drive this. You know, no, no, look, it, it, it's, I, I love I just hearing Tom talk, so I don't care who asked the question. Yeah, so in a perfect draft where there's no moving her up, where would you see Malik and Pickett's actual true value? Like towards the end of the first round, the second round? Uh, I mean, obviously the jockeying changes everything, but in a perfect world, where should they fall? Yeah, I would say later first, early second. More, remember Andy Dalton was an early second round pick, right? And I thought that was, that's about where Andy Dalton should be drafted. I think Pickett, very similar to Dalton, uh, you know, physically can might not be a great starter, might be a good starter, or, you know, and, and, and a really good backup. The but that I'm not saying that's what he's going to be. I'm saying uh, kind of like Andy Dalton is kind of where I see 
Pickett. And Dalton was a good quarterback for, I mean, it's not like he was a nobody. Right. But that right. kind of area. And again, Willis, Willis, you know, will probably get overdrafted just because he, you know, he can throw the ball 60 yards on his knees. Although I've never seen a quarterback throw from his knees in the NFL. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that later first round area is, is where I would consider him based just on talent. Now, Tom, we let me saw ask Kyle Bowler do that. And <laughs> did I get him? Right. Um, but Tom, let me ask you this, since you're, you're sort of touching on the subject, so I'll just ask it, and if you don't want to answer, I understand, brother. But do you think Malik Willis is being, like, I remember one time you had this great comment, and it was when Andrew Luck and Robert, uh, Robert Griffith III, was, they were both coming out in the same draft. And you had one of the most insightful comments that was off the cuff. I know you, you threw it out on a radio show somewhere, but it made so much sense to me. You said, everyone's assuming that Luck is the pocket passer because he's white, and Griffith is the running quarterback because he's black. He's African-American. And you said nothing could be further than the truth. Luck runs like crazy out of the pocket. He's a good out of the pocket. And Griffith is the one, you know, has a, yes, he can move, but he'd rather stay in the pocket. He'd rather throw from the pocket. And you said this, these racial lenses that we see through sometimes uh, really blur the truth. Like, why is it that every white slot receiver gets compared to Wes Welker or Julian Edelman, right? It's totally discounting what those guys did, right? So do you feel Malik Willis, I'm not going to say suffers because I think it benefits him in this case, but do you think people are looking at Malik Willis and saying, hey, he, he's another black quarterback from a small school. Maybe he's another Lamar Jackson. Like, do you think those comparisons are superficially made to people like Lamar Jackson because or, or to Kyler Murray, because they're like, hey, it's another black quarterback. He must move around. He must be fast. Right. Do you think that even the media gets sucked into that? Or do you think we're beyond that somehow in this day and age? No, I just think it's lazy analysis. And you we you mentioned, you know, uh, a guy who just passed in Dwayne Haskins. Remember what Stephen A said about Dwayne Haskins when he came out a running quarterback? Hmm. there's never been less of a running quarterback in the right. history of football than Dwayne. I never saw him run once at Ohio state. Right. He's the epitome of your old Dan Marino pocket passer, but that was even Stephen a just being a little lazy, you know, say, so, you know, and he admitted it after I, you know, I, I didn't really do my home, but I think that's what it is. It's more just being lazy. Like, you know, every black quarterback now is going to be compared to Mike Vick, right? Because Mike right. Vick was that guy who came in and kind of changed things. But, you know, it, it, I just think it's unfair to him. We heard it from Russell Wilson coming out of college. Now, listen, when Russell Wilson has to move, he can move. Russell Wilson's a pocket quarterback. Uh, the, you know, Dak is a pocket quarterback that, you know, Dak hates to run. He says it all the time. I don't like to run. So I think you just got to watch and see what the strengths are. Um, you know, you know, for instance, <laughs> Matt Carell is going to run a heck of a lot more than Malik Willis, a lot okay, more. There you go. So it just, it, it all depends on their style of play. Yeah, no. And I love the way you phrase that. It's, 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 if it's not outright racial sort of, I don't want to use the word discrimination, but influence bias, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's certainly lazy, you know, because it's just like you figure who's going to challenge you, right? If it's somebody who doesn't know football, they're going to be, Let's go. yeah, of course, the black quarterback's going to run. The white guy's going to be slow. It's a, it's a statue, right? Um, and then you're right. It's very lazy. It's very easy to fall into those traps. 
Uh, all right, I just, John. Yeah. John, I just saw that uh, uh, on Twitter with uh, uh, your former guy ever New England. I don't know if you were there when he was there. The uh, black quarterback who started for Indianapolis, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, somebody's there. Well, he's black. He's got to be a great runner. And somebody goes, somebody said what you said, John. Yeah. Have you watched the Colts play? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, you're right. Tom, thank you. That's a great way to put it. I have to remember that. That's just lazy analysis. <laughs> it's better to say it that way than you're stereotyping and then get in a racial argument, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. So let's move on to the next one. Tom, I'm going to give you a two-part question, open-ended. You answer it any way that you want. Which position do you feel is the deepest in this draft? And maybe talk about some of those prospects. And which one do you feel is the shallowest? And talk about some of those prospects, maybe. Well, obviously, offensive line is pretty deep. The You know, we know that receiver is very deep. The You know, listen, my sons play center. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Tyler Linderbaum out of, out of Iowa. Mm. He's, he been one, the, he's been one of the most dominant linemen um, in college football the last couple of years. So he's a guy I really like in, in terms of receivers, the, I think Ohio state's interesting. I bet Garrett Wilson would be the first receiver taken. And I think he will be, but Chris Olave is a really, really good football player. And I think that's the guy I'm kind of waiting to see where he goes. Uh, and if he goes to the right offense, cause I think he can be in a, an immediate impact. So those would be the two positions I think are really deep or offensive line and receiver. Where, where do you think Olave, for example, would have the greatest impact? What team would you like to see him go to reasonably speaking? You know, the, I think a team like the Broncos or someone like that, somebody with a, these rookie receivers are going to do better with established quarterbacks, right? Mm -hmm. Guys that they're going to, you know, Russell Wilson, they're going to throw to guys who are open, not their, you know, they <laughs> not their best friends, down. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that would be my answer. Obviously, you know, it wouldn't be bad if he went to green Bay that uh, they got an established quarterback there who might need some help on the outside. So those, those uh, veteran quarterbacks are going to make rookie receivers look better. So that I, I think a team like that would help them. That's great. And you mentioned Limbaugh the center, right? Is he an all around center or is he more of a run blocker pass blocker? Do you see him having a complete game? How, how do you, how does he play out in your scouting report? Yeah, he can play different positions. I mean, he played center in college, but the that's why I think he'll go in round one because you mm -hmm. rarely see center pure centers go in round one. But you're looking at a guy who can play multiple positions um, uh, on the offensive line. So, I mean, he's athletic. Obviously, if you play at Iowa, you know how to run block. They only throw right. four passes a game. So <laughs> very athletic in, in the open field. Uh, so I, I really like him. And uh, what my favorite the, the guy the chiefs drafted last year at center um was phenomenal uh I, i'm getting old i can't remember names anymore <laughs> but he started from the first preseason game to the end of the year you know was one of pff's top rated centers really made an impact on that offensive line you know so i think he's a very similar kind of player well the chiefs in general last year did a great job on that line yep. going from that horrible collapse with the injuries to fisher and everything in the um in the super bowl uh, to be able to rebuild that in one season. I thought they did a great job uh, oh, yeah. bringing in Orlando Brown Jr., drafting that center. And I'm almost tempted to say Lindsey for some reason, but I, I could be wrong about that. Um, I would have thought William would have taken the time to look it up. He usually does. He's always correcting me on the show. But um, uh, but yeah, I think they did a great job uh, in general putting that line back together. Reed Humphrey. 
Creed. I mean, that's, Humphrey. There you that's, go. that's how you know you're getting old. Yeah. You forget a name like Creed Humphrey. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's got and I've got 15 years on you, kid. I, I, so, like, imagine <laughs> he, how I he feel. Was phenomenal. I mean, I was like rewinding his plays, showing them to my son. So, you know, those those positions aren't sexy, but right. those guys can come in and make an immediate impact for it and help improve a team. Yeah, the trenches. <laughs> yeah, and and then you think of someone like Quint, uh, Quinton Nelson when the Jets yep. traded up for Darno, and the uh, Colts said, "Hey, we're more than happy to take the extra draft capital and take Nelson." You know, because he's going to be the best, right? And it worked out that way for them. So that that was pretty good. Which position do you think is the lightest? Is it the quarterbacks or is there another yeah, position? I think it's the quarterbacks. This is a very, very I, I don't know if we're going to see any really good NFL starters come out of this class. I mean, you, you'll you definitely have some starters, but I don't know what their ceiling is. I mean, there's no Joe Burrow. There's, there's no guys like that in this class, I don't think. Uh, right. You know, I do think Pickett is probably – one of the best ones. And I, you know, like I said, Andy Dalton sounds like it's a, it's dinging them. It's not Andy Dalton was a good quarterback in Cincinnati. And so, I mean, if that's what he becomes, I don't think it's an awful pick, but I don't see a lot of these quarterbacks making a big impact as NFL. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that Andy Dalton, I think for years, statistically speaking, he was always the Dilly. He, he was the equivalent of the Mendoza line. Like yep. Andy Dalton was always the middle of the road statistically in every category. So if you were above Dalton, you were above average. If you were below him, you were losing your job the next year. He always seemed to be that really middle of the road guy but like you said a good team he could take you to the playoffs probably all right let me ask you about oh i'm sorry i was gonna ask one more thing the edge rushers i think they're pretty deep this year who do you have being the best edge rusher do you think is it Thibodeau? is it hutchinson uh is it johnson from florida florida state what do you who do you got there i have Thibodeau being number one really okay I, i thought you know listen Clowney is a great player and I right. see him being a lot like him, not just on the field, but I think last year he might have sat a little longer than he had to, you know, look, I don't, I don't punish kids for that. You know, if that okay. was my son and he had all this money waiting for him, I don't know if I want him rushing back earlier than he should be from injuries. You know what? I, that, 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 that's a fine line for me. So I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize him for that. I thought, I mean, when he was on the field, 100% healthy, I thought he was uh, him and uh, Nicobe Dean, the, the linebacker for Georgia, were the two best defensive players I saw. So I would say him. Obviously, you know what you're getting in Hutchinson. The the guy the guy's a great player. Um, he's a leader. So those two, I think, are a little bit above the rest of the pack. And that's a natural fit for the Lions. Hutchinson to Detroit, in number two. That seems to be almost like one of those storybook things like we're going to draft this kid. He's local. I think they said it's 30 miles from his house to go to, to go to play, play home games. So, um, and, and he's, and he's really good. So unless the Jags take him at number one, uh, the Lions will probably end up with him. I'm sorry, William, I cut you up before. I was just curious. Who do you see after Willis and Pickett going and the quarterback and what round do you think uh, that, that, that individual would go? Cause I'm thinking the middle of the draft at this point. Yeah, I think uh, I think Matt Corral could sneak in round one. I think if oh, there's three quarterbacks that uh, that go and rock, just because he's got a lot of traits that I think NFL teams would like. The he surveys the field well. I mean, he doesn't have prototypical size, but he can do a lot of things. You know that that teams like. You know, then you're looking at Desmond Ritter. I, I think his ceiling's a little bit limited. 
the, I, I think he's, you know, I think he's more of a Ryan Fitzpatrick, which again, that's not a negative. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has had a great NFL career as a sometime starter, phenomenal backup. So I could see Ritter being that type of guy in round two. Cool. Excellent. Um, all right, let's move on a little bit more. First uh, NFL draft talk here. Uh, almost surprisingly, there's eight teams that have two first round picks this year. Eight teams control half of the first round. And I'll read them off quick. The Lions are at number two and 32. The Texans are at three and 13. The Jets are at four and 10. The Giants are at five and seven. So they almost have back-to-back picks. Uh, you have the Eagles at number 15 and number 18. Interestingly enough, neither one of those were theirs uh, originally. Uh, the Saints have 16 and 19. The Packers have 22 and 28. The Chiefs, 29 and 30. Um, Tom, who stays put? Who's moving around? Who's going, who's going to, who's wheeling and dealing and who's staying put? Well, I think what this means is a lot of teams are, there's going to be a lot of movement. Uh, okay. When you have teams with multiple first round picks, the you're going to see teams move up and down, you know, and again, just going back to new England, because I, I was there and I know a little bit, you know, when the, when the Patriots have two first round picks, they always thought about getting another one next year. If you didn't have guy, you know what I mean? Uh, right. uh, if you, if you thought that draft was going to be better, obviously NFL teams are looking a year ahead in these drafts. And if you thought there was going to be more frontline players next year than this year, maybe get one, next season instead you know i gotta think i don't know what they can i gotta think the packers are here to do something because it just doesn't make sense to me that aaron Rodgers didn't know what was going on um with there Devontae adams, he, right? yeah, yeah with Devonte adams before he resigned we didn't hear Rodgers say anything negative about it and we as you know i'm sure everyone knows Aaron will give his opinion when he feels like giving his opinion. So the fact that he didn't come out and really rip the organization about it makes me think that that was known. Um, but I also think that, you know, the Packers have to get this guy some weapons now, you know, uh, he re-signed, they got two first round picks. You know, the team I think is, is interesting. Obviously the giants are sitting there with five and seven, they can do a lot of things. Um, I don't think the Giants, the Giants have had three of the worst coaches in the history of pro football the last six years. <laughs> right. It's hard to do that. It really is. Just you have to work based, at it. Yeah, right. Just based on that, I think they're <laughs> going to be improved. They were also the most injured team in the NFL last year. You take those two things, and I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl. I'm saying eight and eight, you know, sniffing around the playoffs in the NFC East. So I think them and the other NFC East team, the Eagles, I, you know, I don't know if I buy into their quarterback. I'm a big, in terms of a person, Jalen Hurts is about as nice and as a, as a leader in the, at the college game, right. always his interviews. Every time I heard him talk, I said, take this guy, number one, uh, I think <laughs> right. he's probably going to be a future Senator. Right. <laughs> uh, he's got that kind of presence. I want to root for him. I don't know if he's the guy, but them having two picks and the giants having two picks. And I, I do think the New York jets will be improved. I don't know if we'll see it in the win loss record because they play in the AFC and it's so tough. It's going to come down to some games they might win or might lose. So I think those teams are interesting with the two picks. Um, do you think the Saints are sniffing around for one of the quarterbacks? Now, it's interesting with given their cap situation, given the fact that they just signed Jameis Winston, who statistically, we always love the big numbers he put up, but he also, he was a turnover machine. Now it started to turn around last year before he got hurt. 
um, a completely different brand of ball. I don't know what's going to happen under Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen traditionally is a uh, defensive coach, right? So is, is New Orleans looking to compete and, and draft two trench players at 16 and 19 potentially and say, okay, we're just going to continue to build our defense. We, we got to replace uh, Williams in the, in the defensive, in the secondary. Uh, we got to replace Armstrong on the offensive line. Do you think that's where they're going? Or do you think they try to package 16 and 19 to move up to get a picket or a Willis? Um, or do you see them trading down for more capital next year? I mean, how does that work for you? That all depends on what they think of those two quarterbacks. That's a team, if, if they like one of them, sure. If they don't, I could see them doing the latter and getting another first-round pick next year, ride in with Winston this year, you know, and then, then you're in position to do some damage with a much deeper quarter expected quarterback class next year. So, again, that's how these teams roll. They're going to rank not just Willis and Pickett. They're going to rank them compared to the quarterbacks coming out next year. Now, if they got five guys, if they have Pickett number one this year and four or five guys rated ahead of them next year, they ain't moving up to get Kenny Pickett. They're going to get another first-round pick for next year. So those are kinds of things that I would look for from the Saints because I do think their talent is still pretty good. Um, And obviously coaches – no coach thinks they're rebuilding. They all want right. to compete now. I mean, yeah. I mean, unless you're Lovey Smith, maybe, or Dan <laughs> Campbell. But <laughs> So, obviously, Dennis Allen, he wants to win right now. So, I think it all depends on how they have those two quarterbacks ranked compared to next year's class. Now, what about Baker Mayfield? Now, to me, this is interesting, right? Now, listen, personally, I think, I don't know if he's a game-changing quarterback. I don't know if he's transformational or not. I do know he's better than anything coming out of the draft this year. Um, we know what's going on in Cleveland. He's never going to play for Cleveland again. Is someone going to make a trade for him, Tom? Do you think he, either during the draft, um, do you think it's the case that if someone's got their eye on Pickett or Willis, they go early, you don't swing a deal for those two that you say, all right, you want to take a third for Mayfield? You want to take a second for Mayfield, depending on how much money is eaten and whatnot by Cleveland? Uh, or do you see Mayfield getting cut? How do you see that situation working itself out? Yeah, that's interesting because there's a couple of things about Baker Mayfield. I never thought he was going to be great. Um, when he came, when he, when he came out of school, Greg Cassell, the, who knows, you know, is one of the smartest football guys ever showed multiple tapes of him rolling to his right. Even when he wasn't really under pressure, he always drifted to his right. Mm-hmm. So Cassell said NFL teams are going to see this on tape and, and you know, they're going to come from the right and make him go the other way where he's not comfortable. And I have seen that quite a bit. So that was a very good nugget that he gave pre-draft. But I will say this about Baker Mayfield. That guy was playing hurt last year. Yes, very and as fans, we As fans, we want it both ways. We want you to play her. Then when you play her, we're mad that you're not playing up to your ability. So, it, it, you know, that you can say a lot about Baker Mayfield, but I was impressed last year with his toughness because he was in a lot of pain. His throws, whether you like the guy or not, his throws weren't close. That had something to do with his shoulder. So I do think whoever trades for him will get a better version of Baker Mayfield than we saw last year. I just don't know if he has the head and the just the overall talent, you know, to be, I mean, you know, if, excuse me, if the Panthers traded for him, is he a lot better than what they already have? 
you know, yeah, I, so I think it's a, I think it's a tough one, but I do think Baker Mayfield is better than he played last year. Yeah. Tom, uh, I, I, I got to step in because that's exactly what I've been saying. And, and I think the reason he came out with what he said was because he did lay it all on the line mm-hmm. for that team last year. And they, they pretty much stabbed him in the back. However you want to look at it and compare him and Deshaun Watson or whatever, but the way, look, Jimmy Haslam has been known as a bum in NFL right. circles. The FBI may still be investigating him for all we know. He's not what you would call uh, an owner you turn your back on. And I think he felt completely betrayed. And people forget the, the Browns, uh, I, I'll say they're nothing but dirt. They're squat dirt in terms of their playoff appearances and wins until Mayfield got there. Yep. And that win they got was over their most uh, the most vaunted arch rivals, the Steelers. So he did a lot for that city to lift them up. But that said, I'm with you. I'm like, well, how good a QB is he? I'm not, I'm not saying I agree to any assessment as much as he took the team to the playoffs and then he got hurt and he played her. He didn't check out. And I'm like, uh, uh, from an emotional and mental standpoint, that's what I want in a player. What I don't like about him is he seems a bit, uh, He's still like a big kid. Immature. I think, He's immature. I think if he matures a little bit, I, I'm hoping he can surprise because I love those stories because those are the stories for average Joes like us to aspire to, to look up to, to go to your kid. That's who you want to be. Not necessarily the maturity level, but in terms of how he laid it on the field and how he gave it 100%. So, so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And, you know, the people get, I'll tell you what, I heard a lot of things about Kyler Murray coming out that he's a miserable person that people can't have you ever seen Kyler Murray on the sidelines he's all by himself yeah nobody's around him he looks miserable all the time you know listen he's a phenomenal player I'm not not saying anything about it but you know again there's another guy you're talking about being mature you you have to wonder if that's why the Cardinals aren't ready to unload all that money onto him I don't know how well he he gets along with teammates and I I always I always find it interesting when there's a guy always sitting by himself yeah. uh, you know never yeah. talking to any of his teammates i mean to me looking at it from a draft perspective and he's only been a couple years out um, uh, and i've got him back into the sports i, I was actually a pol- political guy uh, uh as a recent but uh when i see his size and then when i followed him the last couple of years but, but superficially not in depth what, what I seemed to see was a small kid who just got tired of getting hit. And that there's nothing wrong with that. It's a brutal sport. Yeah. And when you're smaller, and when I saw him in the second half and I saw that Rams game, I was like the rest of the analysts, like, I'm not surprised by how he played. I thought that underhand throw that intercepted, uh, the Rams intercepted, it was pick six too, I think. Uh, uh, the end zone. Yeah. 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 I mean, that to me epitomized who Kyler Murray is, and that's not taking away from him, but who Kyler Murray is now that the NFL's kind of figured him out. And I'm not saying I'm right, but how right or wrong am I? And do you think the Cardinals uh, may be more concerned with his size versus a maturity issue? Yeah, certainly. Listen, you know, Lamar Jackson runs a lot. Kyler runs a lot. There's only one Cam Newton. I, I've yeah. seen Cam Newton in person. He looks like the Undertaker. He's huge. <laughs> I mean, it's you really you can see that he's a big guy, but guys that big, once you see him in real life, you're just like, oh my God, this guy plays quarterback. So Cam was able to take that beating for a few years only because he's so darn big. He was giving out the blows half the time. And Roethlisberger. Andrew Roethlisberger. Yeah, big guys like that. 
Andrew yep. Luck is a big guy who was a runner. He ended up leaving the game, I think, because of the beatdown he got. Right. I mean, other reasons, but he was, I mean, he took some vicious shots and he was a big guy. So, so if you were an NFL GM uh, consulting with the Arizona Cardinals, would you say lock him up or let's wait? That's a tough one because I think he's a really good player. I don't know about the other stuff. The, the stuff on the field, you know, I, I think he can certainly win. Something The thing that bothers me about what's going on there is something wasn't right with that team at the end of the season. I don't know if it was him or if it was, you know, Kingsbury. I, I don't know why, but that was an absolute they, – they didn't play well at the end of the year, and then a complete no-show in the playoffs. Right. This is an interesting team entering this year early on to see how they, they bounce back from what happened at the end of last season. And they did have some veteran leadership on that team, which mm-hmm. makes it even weirder, right? It's not like they were a completely young right, team that, right. that fell apart. I mean, you had J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, uh, uh, James Conner. Like, you had veterans on that team. And for it to collapse like that, you're absolutely right. Now, my theory was either the coaching staff was trying to keep him in the pocket, meaning Murray. They were trying to yeah. protect him by keeping him in the pocket where he wasn't comfortable. That wasn't his game. Or B... To what you guys alluded to, he's a small guy and he was getting the crap knocked out of him. And he just decided like he got gun shy. Like, I'm not going to scramble. I'm Because I noticed that a lot in those Cardinals games. He just wasn't as mobile. He wasn't as electric as he was. Right. I mean, I know at one point he had a twisted ankle, but at that, I, I don't know. You're right. Something weird happened, especially on offense, where that team just was not performing the way it was. So you're right. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what happens there. All right. Let's do uh, some quick things here. Give me a sleeper and give me a bust coming out of the draft. This is your famous uh, going up, going down from the fire sale, Tom. Well, the the guy I really like, and I really like, uh, I understand running backs aren't what they used to be, but Brian Robinson out of Alabama, Mm -hmm. um, someone's going to get a heck of a player in the third round. You know, I thought Miles Sanders was a bit overdrafted. They kind of remind me of each other a little bit. The, you know, he's not your Derrick Henry. He might not carry the ball 25 times, but how many guys are those uh, are still in the league that right. do that? Right. You know, I think Brian Robinson, if he goes to the right team who utilizes him well, is going to, you know, going to catch the ball. He's a tough inside runner for his size. So, you know, he's a guy, he, he's a guy I really, I really like. And I, I think is going to, he's going to over, he's going to be more valuable than his, than his draft position for sure. Um, you know, the, a bust mm, let me think for a quick second the you know george pickens the wide receiver out of georgia has always been talented i don't know if he does he's never really lived up i mean he's been injured but i think someone's gonna overdraft him that's the guy i could i don't think he's in quite the league and class as some of these other top receivers coming out so i think it'll be interesting if somebody falls in love with his pure athleticism and takes him too early there you go love the sleepers and the bust uh is there anybody you who do you think is going to have the most impact for fantasy players on offense give me give me the player you think is going to have the most fantasy impact yeah again i would look at chris Olave. Where okay. he goes, I, I think he, you know, uh, the other guy too is, and we don't know when he'll be ready, but Jamison Williams from Alabama is a phenomenal football player. He's injured so, though, right? Huh? He's injured though, right? Yeah, he's injured. I'm t- that's more of a dynasty thing. If you're looking, uh, if you're looking to pick up a guy more, more, more long-term, you know, the, again, I think the easiest position on offense to come into for the right team is running back. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, Brees Hall is going to go somewhere in there. If he goes to the right team, I think he can make an early fantasy impact. But again, I, you know, I, I would stick with Olave and even Brian Robinson in that third round area if he goes to the right spot. I, I tend to agree with you. The only, the only little pushback I'll give you, Tom, with respect, is rookie running backs usually have trouble because they're not good in pass, pass protection. So, right. so in today's game yep. where you're running, uh, you're passing 70% of the plays, you need someone who won't get the quarterback killed. Right. And, no doubt uh, about it. If you, so you miss, you miss one block and you're on the bench, you're on the bench. <laughs> no, I, I think it was Steve young, but uh, uh, your classic case, the rookie, I, uh, you know, and the quarterback was out, you know, was yeah. out, and we never saw that rookie RB the rest of the game. Yeah, that yeah. was a lot, you know, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Tom, a question regarding the Panthers. A lot of, uh, not a lot, but but some analysts, some people have been saying, look, it doesn't matter who they bring in at quarterback. They believe Rule, the head coach, isn't really all he's cracked up to be. Uh, what's your opinion on that? Because I'm like, uh, 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 and, 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 and before you answer from that perspective, was Darnold overrated coming out? I mean, is what we're seeing from Darnold what he really is or being with the Jets and then going to the Panthers? Is he another product of the David Carr phenomena? I think it's a little bit of both. Again, he didn't play a ton in college. So the he I thought he was good. I thought he was a little bit overdrafted. And then, you know, you start off with the Jets and you're getting killed there. I thought he lost his getting that confidence back is so hard once you lose it, because right. it's the one thing that's hard. It's the intangible that's hard to do in a 40 and everything else. And that's called pocket presence. You know, yes. some guys like Brady, it's amazing the way he just everything slows down around him right in the pocket. And it looks like he's playing in slow motion. Most people don't have that. Mm -hmm. So early on in your career, when you're getting beaten up like those guys do, it's hard to get their confidence level back. I don't think Darnold's ever going to be a good NFL quarterback at this point. He had a chance to go to Carolina last year and rejuvenate his career, and it just wasn't there. So I think it's kind of foolish to think now all the sudden he's going to be a good player um so yeah I, I think it's a it's a little bit of both on him okay tom uh we're nearing the end of the show thank you for your draft insights but let me ask you this now because i always put i always try to get some nostalgia going here as we mentioned earlier you're an og sports grumblings uh go like you said going back to gridiron grumblings right so uh, get any stories, any old war stories, whether it was for the site when you were writing or when we were on Sirius XM, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, when we had our show on Sirius XM, one of the original shows on their fantasy channel, Tom was part of that broadcast booth. Um, and uh, the fans always loved Tom, always good to get into an argument with and everything. Tom, any stories you want to share with, uh, with the folks? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, obviously, you gave me my star. I wouldn't be where I am today without you giving me a chance. I wasn't where I wanted to be in life. I was struggling a little bit. I mean, to be honest with you, the fire sales, all I had to look forward to most weeks. So that's kind of kept me afloat. But the one thing I always remember is, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure we had the first fantasy podcast. And if it wasn't first, it was second or third. Right, it was one of the first. I mean, now everybody has, I mean, you know, Joe Blow Fantasy on Twitter has his own fantasy podcast. But I really think we were ahead of our time 
we 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 did podcasting 15 years too early we were i agree we were crazy we were bombastic the stuff that people are making a ton of money for today <laughs> i know we started way back in the late 90s but yeah. uh so that's the thing i'll always remember are those podcasts that i thought were excellent and you know probably about a decade too early for people i you know i i say that all the time not to, not to praise myself because i think a lot of a lot of success that we had was from guys like you, you know, who, who were, were unafraid to say what was on their mind. Um, and I'll tell you on that, along those lines, the podcast I'll never forget is when we took Don Banks to, 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 to task, uh, the writer from Sports Illustrated. Um, he had penned an article saying how fantasy football was destroying the NFL, how uh, fantasy football was destroying fans around the NFL. And Tom and I got on that podcast. I didn't say two words. Well, I said, hey, Tom, you want to talk about Don Banks? And I think for the next two hours, it was just Tom railing against Don Banks and Don Banks this and Don Banks couldn't, you know, you know, whatever. And interestingly enough, that was the demo tape I sent to Sirius XM. That, <laughs> that episode was the one I sent to Sirius where uh, Steve Cohen, it's uh, the VP of uh, programming there, said, OK, you guys come in for a shot. And to show you how jacked up we are. I live in New York, uh, William. Tom is from somewhere near Canada, as far as I can tell. <laughs> you know, he's he. It took him like Tom. What was it like a six-hour train ride to it's get like to three, the, three to four hours to three get to there four hours that. each way, and he made his way down. We got to Sirius. We did that demo, man. I got to tell you, it was some of the best radio we ever did. Um, and after that, I just you know I can't uh, thank Tom enough because. To this day, had we been able to keep that together for, for a variety of reasons, we didn't. Had we, I, I think you would be looking at the next bar stool coming from me, Tom, and the original crew. Um, and it's one of my regrets to this day that I couldn't figure out a way. I'm a bad businessman. I couldn't figure out a way to maintain Tom and that original podcast crew, that original radio crew, because I think we had something special. It was a little bit of everything. It was mainly football. It was baseball, basketball, and, uh, you know, listen, Tom used to have, like, his Buffalo Betty story of the week. I hope I'm not killing your spot, Tom, uh, now that you're a married father of, uh, with a couple of kids playing center, you know. Uh, but Tom used to come up with these stories. I'm not even going to say if they were real or fake, but they were entertaining. And um, that's my memory, that Tom – and nobody could stump this guy. Nobody could – no caller could ever stump Tom Casale. So – uh, that's my memories of well, time. I, I can't take all the credit when guys are given awful takes like fantasy football is ruining the sport. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> talk about an all time bad take. Huh? Oh my god, <laughs> and and Tom, I agree. I yeah. agree. You know who else was like that? Was Dom Banks's peer over at SI's Peter King. Peter King. He, he hated fantasy. I remember at the combine overhearing him talk and put it down. And now, what's he doing? He'll take, he'll, he'll do his drafts, he'll take his sponsors. They're whores, they're money whores at the end of the day, you know. And that's what irked me. It's like we are because I when I used to talk about uh, fantasy sports, wherever I go, I was KFL was blessed. We kind of exploded. So 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 I would talk here or there and I would always sit there and say our writers are better than any NFL reporter. 
Because these NFL reporters are writing about feelings. They're writing about who they like, who they don't like. And that's your whole shtick. That's your whole angle. One reason they did not like fantasy analysts, because we didn't write about that. We wrote objectively and we would be right. See, I get all passionate. I'm like you with that aspect. And in regards to the podcast, you're right. When I was, uh, uh, it may have been right before I started KFL or or got it going. That's when I discovered Gridiron Grumblings. And I was like, wow, look at this guy. This guy's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this. And when when I got together, I got together with Big John here like a year ago. Hey, let's work together. You know, uh, 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 I had the sports grumbling stuff that I've never done anything with that you gave me, yada, yada, yada. He's like, well, I'm doing this. I'm like, okay, okay, you're an old man. <laughs> let's watch it flame out and burn. You know, <laughs> I say it jokingly, but I was really hoping to succeed. But like, I'll bide my time. So I finally worked with him uh, or convinced him uh, uh, some months back, but it was because of, his innovativeness, his creativity. And, and John's like this, like the Jolly Green Giant, this big old gentle monster, you know, when you look at him and, and I kind of gravitate to that. So, but you're right, that pod, a podcast before it was called a podcast, yep. you know? So, so, so yeah, yeah. It's not only memories with you, with your, with your former workers, but there are people scoping your site out. Yeah. You know? And what I told John is, is the difference between KFFL and, and sports grumblings is the luck factor. I don't care who is successful in life, there's always luck. I call it being at the right place at the right time. Others call it luck. And that's the difference between John and I, why I wanted to work with him. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Sometimes it's, uh, you know, that's what happened with sports betting with me. I mean, nobody knows sports betting like I do. And hey, they legalized it. Guess what? All those media (laughs) jobs that you couldn't get anymore, they opened up. There was a ton of jobs in media. And yeah, is it a little lucky? Is it being a, right? But it's, you know, I'm not going to complain about it. No, why should I mean, it? it doesn't matter how you get there. Once you prove yourself is all that matters. Right. All right. Well, listen, Tom, I can't tell you how happy this show made me. I couldn't wait to do another show with you, even if it's for one time. I hope we can get you back on again as the season goes on. Uh, I hope we have uh, I hope you have time for us is what I'm saying. Uh, he, but, he's uh, not exaggerating, Tom. He <laughs> <laughs> was like a 12 year old kid oh, and, yeah, with yeah. his first Playboy. <laughs> yeah, people people don't understand like um when Tom started with us I it's tough for me to think of him as a father and a husband right now. You don't understand how much I'm struggling yeah. with the concept because it's it's, it's 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 <laughs> nailing my own mortality, right? Like, oh man, if Tom Casali is married and he's a responsible father, Jesus, I'm about one foot in the grave already, you know? And um when he came up, I remember sometimes he'd send me an article and I'd be, Tom, you can't say that in print, you know? <laughs> and I'd send it back to him and he'd be like, you're trying to censor me, you know? And I was like, oh man. But his talent was something that I couldn't even hope to re- reproduce. Like, and I'm not just blowing smoke his way. I'm telling you <laughs> that he is one of the most entertaining writers that I've ever read. I, I would actually look forward to when I had to edit his column for two reasons. The only thing I had to do was correct spelling at best, right? Like everything else. I can't spell. Yeah, but like (laughs) most good writers, none of us can spell. But um, he had this innate sense of what was inherently funny, in my opinion, but also insightful to be able to like, like great standups. Standups make you laugh. And then when you're done laughing, you're like, wait a second. Oh, wow, that was really insightful what he or she said. And Tom has that ability. And if you, by the way, one of the best Twitter follows on Twitter is Tom Casale. If you love sports betting, 
Um, Tom, one of your greatest lines, because we were talking about him the past episode. He, he, tell him what you said about Jeff Fisher. The Oh, that I, I can't bet against him in New York. The, yeah, he yeah, said the, Jeff Fisher is finally back in football. The, and New York, New York doesn't have USFL lines for some reason. And here I am waiting to bet against Jeff Fisher. God gave us another shot at this. Right. And I couldn't bet it. And of course, he ran the ball 46 times up the middle, scored 12 points and lost. So I'm already already lost uh, some money not being able to bet against Jeff right. Fisher. Right. So, well, you know, you know, John, our Tom, what's funny is I've caught uh, uh, John doing this a couple of times, you know, where he says he had to censor you. And you're like, don't censor me. I'm like, dude, you can't say that to John all the time, you know, <laughs> talking about censorship. John, John, John was right, though. The, you know, one of the things I learned over the years is how to say things. So, you know what I'm saying? Like back then I was young. I was in my, you know, in my early 20s and I just wanted to say it. Sometimes you can't say it that way. You got to, and like John made a good point about making people think after the laugh. I mean, I always think back to the guy I loved growing up, George Carlin. Mm. George Carlin made you laugh. I still go back and think about things he said that are true today. Like uh, I remember when George Carlin was saying that in 1980. So right. it's stuff like that. You want people to take you seriously and actually you want them to make them think and not just make, you don't want people, some, someone along my journey, John gave me great advice. You want people laughing with you. You don't want people laughing at you. Right. And that was advice yeah. I always took for, for the next 20, 25 years. That's excellent. Hey, Tom, give us your Twitter handle. It's at the Tom Casali. That's simple enough. At the Tom Casali. And we'll make sure it's that plastered all over uh, the show uh, screen. But Tom, listen, I love having you on. I can't uh, emphasize that enough. And honestly, uh, thankful, thank you for joining us. And hopefully you'll join us again. Uh, so, buddy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I loved it. All right. Thank you, Tom. All right. So uh, there goes uh, Tom Casale, uh, uh international bon vivant, William. But well, you know, it's good to have somebody come on and actually elevate our show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of the nonsense that we usually do. Um, but um, so what I like uh, about him is there's so many fans out there yeah. who think they know everything. They have somebody come in uh, who can casually and, and knowingly just just rattle off all this. It's 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 not a given, and and too many people assume they have that gift. And I'm like, no, you don't. Myself included at times when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, no, you don't. You know, it's like it's like no, you're not good enough to be a gigolo, Dale. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not good enough uh, to to be in those porn films. You gotta yeah. have a name like but I was uh, in the Navy, like and Big... I had my practice runs, <laughs> <laughs> Sailor Bill or something. You know, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. So uh, listen, like I said, uh, people think I may be doing this, uh, but I love having my old crew on now, uh, guys that came up with Gridiron Group, like we said, Tim McCullough, Dennis Velasco. Uh, Tom Casale. These guys were guys where, uh, William, you know, this is a small businessman. It becomes family. Yes, it's a business, but it's also a family when you start out in the garage, right? When you start out yeah. in a small, uh, renting a small space with 10 desks in uh, 200 square feet, you know, that type of thing. Exactly. So uh, exactly. I'm always proud of these guys to see what they've accomplished in life. I always root for them. I try to follow them as best I can in their endeavors. And like I said, Tom's always been one of my favorites because I think he has the same type of sense of humor that I do. He has that sensibility. So um, it was really great to see him. Should we say good night? Good night, John.
Good night, William. <laughs> Peace out, America. <laughs>